Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast brought to you by TasteWise. My name is Ron, and we're winding down Alternative Protein Month here at TasteWise. Uh, we still have a bunch more things that are going to be coming out. Uh, we have um, a webinar coming up soon about our top five uh, trends in alternative proteins that you should be aware of. Uh, so you probably got an email about that, or you can uh, see that on our website. And our report is almost out. It's almost out there. You can get your copy uh, on the website as well. So our big Q3 market report, um, you can uh, go to our website and request your copy and you'll get it uh, in uh, the next few days, I think, or uh, very, very, very soon. Um, tons, tons of really great feedback on that. And the person responsible for that is, as always, here with us. So Miriam, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, joining me once again. We've had a break, right? We've had a few episodes where we've had guests on. So okay. it feels good to get back to basics. For sure. Yeah. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Cool. So, Miriam, Alternative Protein Month. Uh, do you feel like you have like alternative protein vision uh, after just? Yeah, I was gonna say being being immersed in this for a full month has been both a complete joy as a vegetarian and also like I, I go to sleep thinking about or about uh, you know vegan meat alternatives and protein and sustainability and I wake up thinking about it so it's definitely been an immersive experience. Yeah, it's um uh, one of our uh, one of our uh, the members of our sales team, Sam and I were talking yesterday about um, working in food tech and working in um, in our industry versus working in like cybersecurity and uh, and working at uh, you know some some other types of companies. Um, and we were talking about like, yeah, sure, a lot of different companies they have their benefits, they have uh, everything that you get from like working at um, either at a startup or at a corporate. Uh, but then at the end of the day, what do you really want to do? with your time? Do you want to spend your days um, talking to, you know, someone in California about uh, their like IT and cybersecurity? Or do you want to talk to someone from, you know, Kraft Heinz or Pepsi or, uh, or Coca-Cola um, about actually the thing that they're developing that is going to affect the things that you eat every day, the things that you buy in the supermarket? Um, so it was one of those very wholesome conversations about like, yeah, we, we like our jobs. We are fulfilled. <laughs> we are fulfilled. So uh, what are we getting into today? So I want to talk about consumer motivations behind alternative proteins or behind kind of the alternative plant-based alternative scene generally. I think there's a lot of stuff to dig in there. So I want to take some time and talk about it today. Okay. Are we running uh, through uh, trends like, uh, like we usually do? Yeah, we can just uh, kind of, you know, touch on that a little bit. Um, I want to look, I think, more at the, the motivations behind those trends. So we'll talk a little bit about maybe what's up and coming and trending. Uh, we'll cover that more in the webinar next week. But um, for sure, I think I want to talk about the motivations or the needs that bolster uh, the trends we're seeing in the market today. Okay, let's do it. Where, where are we going to start? Great. So I want to, I think, paint a little bit of a, a picture for us. And we'll start with three kind of macro trend in the alternative space. So not, I, I think none of these will come to a, as a surprise to anybody who has either been with us throughout Alternative Proteins Month or you know is invested in the alternative proteins category or in the alternative 
this category generally. Uh, when I say alternative proteins, I specifically mean um, anything that is plant-based that aims to replicate um, a the you know the the benefits of protein that we often get from animal produced uh, products. But B, when I when I say alternative proteins, you can sort of think about that in two major categories: meat or dairy. Right. So um, you can phrase that however you want. You can say plant based alternatives, alternative meat, alternative dairy, alternatives, whatever. But that's what I mean when I say alternative protein. And we're seeing um, three categories that are really, really important and I think top of mind for, for consumers right now. So the first is health. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, the second is sustainability. Again, uh, these are not necessarily surprising in and of themselves, but we'll talk about the surprising insights within them. Uh, and the third is taste and texture, uh, which really goes back to how we're referring to this category generally, which generally, which is as an alternative, right? So it's an alternative to something. Um, therefore, it there is a, an element of replication or of approximation of uh, the category that we're actually replicating. Um, so those three again are health, sustainability, and taste and texture. So um, let's go ahead and start with health. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're, we said in previous podcast episodes that we're coming out of COVID. I think that, that that isn't the right way to describe it. We're still very much in COVID or in this kind of constantly permutating state of reality. Um, but health is taking on kind of different, different uh, characters over the course of that time when it comes to food and beverage. So at the beginning of the pandemic, and I'm not just talking about uh, plant-based alternatives right now, I'm talking about generally, um, this is old news for those of you who, who work in you know consumer insights all the time. Health skyrocketed around March and April. Um, you know, a little bit through early summer. Um, and then people started to really understand that that an emphasis on health and wellness um, is here to stay. And so they've, they've become much more acclimated to expecting their food and beverage to cater to their specific health needs. Um, and that's especially true for the alternatives category, right? So the alternatives category is really interesting because on the one hand, it means that people are moving away from something. They're choosing against uh, animal for the most part, animal categories, right? Like meat or dairy, but they're also choosing for something. Um, so they're choosing for something that can, you know, replicate the, the health needs that they need in their diet. So that's everything from, you know, nutrition, protein, et cetera. Um, and they're also choosing for something else that is better for the planet, right? So better for, for the body and better for the planet. And we'll talk about um, kind of sustainability in a moment, which, which touches on that. But health is this really interesting moment where it's actually the reason why people are choosing for the category rather than just against animal uh, animal products. So within the health landscape, um, we see that 7% of uh, conversations or you, know, you can use that as a proxy for engagement with vegan meat, so specifically plant-based meat, has to do with protein. Um, and if you think about all of the different reasons why someone would be pulled to a food and beverage category, 7% is really significant. Um, and I want to kind of pull that out for us because protein in and of itself um, is a really like specific and interesting nutritional need. Um, it has a lot to do with everything from, you know, to brain health, muscle development, fitness. It has all of these kind of a constellation of motivations that, that move around it. But we're seeing that protein by far is the, the top um, most penetrated interest for for health um, within the, the alternatives category. And, and again, I'm speaking specifically right now about, about meat. Um, we also have fiber, brain health, anti-aging, saturated fat or, or the lack of saturated fat, um, and cholesterol as the top motivations within the health landscape for um, alternative meat. 
Um, of those, we actually see that brain health and anti-aging are growing the fastest in the category. So we're seeing that consumers are particularly, even if right now the, the penetration or the amount of conversations, let's say, um, about brain health and anti-aging aren't super high yet. It's still kind of an emerging trend. We're seeing that it's growing really, really quickly um, interest. So brain health, I'll give you the numbers, is growing 215% year over year, and anti-aging is growing 46% year over year. And we're also seeing that saturated fat or, or lack of saturated fat is growing also 48% year over year. So why does any of this matter? These are motivations that are driving people to consume alternative protein products. Like these are um, not necessarily motivations that are saying, I want to move away from animal-based meat and I want to move into alternative proteins. But outside of that, regardless of those types of motivations that I'm trying to replace meat with something else, um, but there are kind of like standalone benefits of alternative proteins that are drawing people to them, like um, anti-aging and, um, and brain function. Sure. Yes and no, I think. I think the, the prevalence of protein definitely comes from that choice against animal uh, products that people are saying, okay, I've made that choice. I'm not going to be eating meat. I do need protein in my diet. How am I going to find it? Um, but I think people are also coming to understand that a plant-rich diet actually has a lot of great brain health uh, repercussions, a lot of anti-aging repercussions. Um, so I think the brain health and the anti-aging, which is the, the kind of trending um, moment right now, I think those are specifically related to the plant-based nature of the product rather than just the fact that it's not meat, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so last week we were talking to uh, the CEO of Redefine Meat um, on what I think is one of those fascinating episodes that, uh, that we've done. For sure. Um, so, and one of the things that uh, he was talking about is that they're not really going after, for example, the, the vegan population. They are in a way, but in their marketing and in the way that they're, they're essentially taking their, um, what they call new meat to market, um, they're not really going after a vegan population simply because um, that's an audience that is not really trying to replicate the experience of eating meat. That is an audience that has sort of moved away from meat as a concept. Not everybody, of course, we can't like overgeneralize, but uh, in, uh, in kind of a large majority, at least uh, based on what they're seeing. Uh, and they're actually targeting more the audiences that uh, resonate with the things that you just mentioned, right? It's uh, people who are either vegetarian, flexitarian, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, he kept saying carnivores, <laughs> uh, <laughs> carnivores who, you know, they do eat meat, but uh, they're actually uh, have discovered something that is not just an alternative, but something that actually tastes better. That's why uh, he ranked taste as the number one most important thing yeah. over health, over anything else, because if, um, like, they can easily make something that is very, very healthy, that, uh that goes towards the motivations of, like you said, brain function and, um, and anti-aging and everything. I, he was saying, I can make this incredibly healthy, incredibly sustainable, amazing steak, but, it, but then it won't necessarily taste as, as good, right? So they prioritize taste. This actually tastes better than, you know, like manufactured meat uh, or like, sorry, processed meat that uh, you find at the supermarket. Uh, that's their play, which I think is fascinating. And it sounds like also kind of backed up by data, like that, yeah, uh, that approach. For sure. And in our data, I think we're, we're very much seeing the, the I, I don't want to say a split because we're, you know, so many consumers are, are found in, in both of these categories, but the difference between, you know, wanting to replicate meat in and of itself, which is what no. I think he was, he was speaking of, and then choosing against animal protein and really looking to get, you know, the, the benefits of 
animal meat, but not really caring about the replication. So that would be things like, you know, tofu or lentils, right? Like you're looking for something that has protein, you can create dishes out of, but it's not tofu. Nobody claims that tofu is replicating the meat experience, right? Um, versus something like Impossible Burger, Beyond Meat, et cetera, which is really, really, really trying to replicate the, the taste, the texture, the experience of eating meat. Um, I actually want to, you brought up a good point there about, about texture. So um, as I said before, health really top of mind for consumers when it comes to alt meat. Um, health accounts for 9% of consumer conversations about alternative meat, which is significant. Um, but it is decreasing at 12% year over year interest in health for the category. Um, we need to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because as we move through COVID and, and health motivations are still top of mind, but it's kind of become obvious part of the eating and drinking experience. Whereas texture um, accounts for 8%, so rivals pretty closely the amount of interest in health for the category, but that's actually growing. Um, it's not significant yet, but 2%, um, it is it's fairly stable, but it's not decreasing. So the interest in texture is, is, is still around, it's well penetrated and it's growing a little bit. And I think when we see new technologies hit the market, like redefine need, um, who else? We, we, we've done a lot of interesting conversations, I think, all of farms, people who are taking new technologies and applying it to really replicate that texture. I think we're going to see te interest in texture uh, skyrocket in the, in yeah. the coming years. And we're also seeing, um, so I just saw an announcement from, uh, from Pepsi that they're uh, investing in collaborations with, um, uh, with a few companies to help kind of foster the new age of uh, sustainable meat, new meat, alternative protein meat, plant-based meat. So everybody's uh, they're giving their own spin to uh, to how they're taking it to market, but uh, the industry as a whole is investing in it. Um, kind of going back to what um, Aviv from uh, GFI was saying in a, on an episode a couple of weeks ago, uh, that this is roughly a fourteen billion dollar uh, opportunity. So earlier, yeah. before I rudely interrupted you, uh, <laughs> you were you were saying um, so you were going through all of the motivations, and then you were saying like, okay, so what does all of this really mean? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I, I think I may have lost my train of thought, if you can believe it. Um, I think what I what I was getting at essentially is that, um, you know, health matters. That's not a surprising necessarily thing to say, but it is interesting to explore within health uh, the different kind of customizable or personally relevant nutritional elements that people are looking for. And we have to remember that, you know, consumers who eat plant-based meats are not, they're not a monolith, right? People come to, to plant-based meats or alternatives generally, right? That can include dairy for any number of reasons. Um, you know, if we look at the dairy category, uh, a huge chunk of people who are, who are eating alternative dairy aren't necessarily vegan, right? They're not necessarily doing it for, you know, um, moving against or away from uh, animal proteins for necessarily, and we'll get to this in a moment, but like sustainability reasons or animal rights reasons or anything like that. Um, they're following oftentimes health, right? Uh, you know, dairy has a lot of, um, you know, positive health repercussions, but also a lot of things that for people who have specific, uh, health concerns that dairy, animal dairy, at least doesn't, doesn't fit. Right. So, um, I know for example, <laughs> Who knew I would be saying this on a podcast? Um, but as someone who has a little bit of a tricky tummy, um, you know, drinking dairy, um, I think that Ashkenazi Jews are are what like we're the one of the largest uh, you know groups of people who have lactose intolerance. So for me, right, I'm, I'm looking for for ways to to bring dairy into my diet, replicate that experience of having let's say a bowl of cereal or something like that without having the repercussions. So I just wanted to draw out for us that having um, having alternative 
um, products or ingredients that meet our health needs down to the granularity of something like, you know, digestion, gut health, or even skin health, brain health, uh, anti-aging, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's really important for brands to be able to, to kind of track the pulse of that um, so that they can create products that really speak to their consumers' demands. Amazing. Even though um, after you said tricky tummy, that's, <laughs> that, that term is going to stick with me. Tricky tummy. It was the it was the most uh, appropriate way I could think of. <laughs> I was saying it on a podcast. Um, so we covered kind of tech, taste and texture a few minutes ago when we were thinking about um, the meat replication experience. I'll actually throw in another number there before we move to sustainability. So taste also accounts for. Um, so remember, just to contextualize here, when we looked at texture, it was eight percent of conversations about vegan meat. Health was nine percent. So taste, thirty-two percent. So we're looking at a huge, huge, huge kind of far and away interest. Taste is the number one thing um, that people are interested in when they look for vegan meat alternatives. Um, And that's growing about 6% year over year. So again, not huge growth, but stable, positive trend line there. um, Something to really really pay attention to. I think about things like this as the benchmark. Like uh, there are things that are almost constant in the way that people uh, perceive their food and beverage, uh, taste. uh, So it's easy to dismiss a lot of these things as obvious. Like when you say like, oh, obviously taste is the most important thing. Is it? It, it is. It really isn't mm. uh, because it, re- it really point. is important to see like, okay, these are the things that people always care about almost in relation to anything. And one of the things that we often do is we look at um, a share versus benchmark. Like how important is something um, specifically in relation to um, a specific topic like alternative protein or a sauce or cheese or whatever it is that uh, you might be looking for versus how many people are talking about this thing uh, generally in, uh, in food and beverage. And it's really important to know that ratio um, in order to understand how specifically relevant a certain term or certain motivation or even like a preparation method is to, um, to your specific uh, topic. So I like to think about something as prevalent as taste as the benchmark and to kind of um, do some um, um, stage setting for how are people actually using all of these metrics? Well, typically it's either in new product development or in their marketing. So when you're developing a new product, so for example, a company like Redefine Labs, based on um, research that they've done, they know that they need to prioritize taste over uh, certain nutritional um, aspects or certain like health aspects of, of their products. And then also when they take these things to market, so even if you see a commercial from McDonald's or like any of uh, any of these like mega chains, um, and you see that like if you really look at those commercials, you can see the data that was gathered behind those commercials. Because look for the words that they're using. See, w- like look for when are they, for example, um, emphasizing the experience versus when are they emphasizing the taste versus when are they emphasizing convenience. So, and I think like a few categories as like, if you take uh, uh, McDonald's uh, as an example, McDonald's has a line, at least, uh, I don't think they actually have this in the US. I don't know if they do. They have it here in Israel where they have like themed burgers um, based on different states in the US. So they have the like the New York burger and the <laughs> Texas burger, which is like much bigger. And they have like the right. LA burger. Bigger in Texas. 
yeah, it's all like a bit stereotypy and like, I don't know how I feel about it, but I mean, it's, um, but it is, it's there, right? So for a lot of these like themed burgers, of course, uh, some of them being like impossible uh, and beyond meat and, um, and uh, like plant-based alternatives, um, it is very, very much focused on the experience. It is very much focused on like, this is the cultural experience around this theme that we're going for. But when they're promoting, for example, um, their uh, kid meals, um, they're very much focused on convenience. Like this is, uh, this doesn't make a mess. This, uh, is, uh, like it comes in a box that's very easy to hold. It comes in a box that's very easy, like to carry, um, versus when you see like the vanilla advertisement for like a Big Mac, it usually very much is focused on taste, right? Like mm-hmm. this tastes as good as, you know, like your whatever, your dedicated like burger joint that, uh, that you like to go to. So um, this is really how uh, all of these stats, all of these, uh, like we love the data, we love the percentages, we li- love the year over year growth, we love to see right. how trends are performing. But uh, it's also important to see how, what, what is the actual applications of these, which is typically in the choices you make developing new products then the choices you make taking them to market in your packaging, in your claims, in the way that uh, that you advertise them. Absolutely. Wait, and before we, we move on from that, I, I want to just call out for us also that exper- the experience of something, um, that's not just a, a, a consideration for the alternatives category, right? We're seeing that generally throughout the market, how important it is to really emphasize the experience. And that's something especially we've seen coming through COVID, um, how much consumers care about companies, products, brands, you name it, speaking to the experience of eating that product, right? So companies who really get it right, um, who can really, you know, I I just heard a commercial for, you know, a delivery platform that said, okay, uh, what do you want to do most tonight? Eat sushi in Netflix or, um, you know, eat eat a burger and sit on the patio or something like that, right? And being able to speak specifically, even if it isn't, you know, super clinical of like, this is the experience you're getting. If you can really speak to consumers and and help them know that they understand you and what you're looking for, that's huge. Um, and I think brands who do that well, another example that comes to mind, uh, like Coca-Cola, right? Coca-Cola commercials um, are all about the experience, right? I, I can't name the last time I saw a Coca-Cola commercial that was about you know the taste of Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is building its brand on the fact that drinking a Coca-Cola brings up so many types of you know experiences. It's you know chilling on the lake or being with friends or or whatever, right? Um, so I think if if alternative category brands can really tap into that same kind of experience and make it feel like it's this, you know, exclusive, fun, tasty, whatever it is thing, um, I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of continued engagement with the category. Yeah, I mean, I think Coca Cola for me was uh, the first time in my life that I became aware of how I'm influenced by advertising because I have a I have a very vivid memory of. Uh, going to the movies with my dad as a kid. Um, and before the movie started, obviously there's like a commercial for Coca-Cola. And the most effective commercial for me was the old one where they just showed you the bottle, uh, like the glass bottle uh, with like the condensation on it. You see yeah, yeah, like yeah. the drop <laughs> falling over it. And now it's like, I am thirsty now. <laughs> I, I, I must have it. <laughs> yeah, I would like a Coke now. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's amazing. So um, we are, so we went over texture. You were going to get into sustainability. Yeah, exactly. So we've covered the first of, or the first two of our three topics for today. So we looked at health, we looked at taste and texture, and let's talk about sustainability. So um, sustainability is very much top of mind right now uh, for us at TasteRise when we're, we're, you know, we've just 
we're wrapping up, as Ron said, alternative protein funds, and we're thinking about sustainability and the role here. Um, and I, I just want to quickly note for us as well that uh, using technology to understand what Ron was talking about before, about you know the consumer claims and, and making products that speak to your consumers and, and creating products also that in, the, in and of themselves, the products meet their needs. Um, all of that in and of itself addresses sustainability um, because a, a food industry that can create products that consumers will, you know, return to and create loyalty around and throw out less um, and are less, you know, reliant on just the whims of, of the market because you really understand what is at the, the root of those decisions means an industry that's throwing a lot less away. Um, so I want to, I want to note also that, you know, sustainability can feel like an overwhelming category. I think especially for, for smaller brands that are thinking, okay, how can I balance my, my business needs and my expenses or, you know, against creating a brand new product that has sustainable ingredients. And that's important and, and we'll get there. But I think also understanding that when you create a marketing strategy that's really, really impactful and really speaks to your consumers, um, that in, in and of itself is a step towards sustainability because you're ensuring that your consumers are buying your products, they're not wasting them, they're not throwing them out, they're returning, you know, supermarkets aren't throwing your product off the shelf. So that's the first thing that I want to say. Um, so if we look at sustainability specifically for, again, alt meats, um, alternative meats, we can see that um, within that, we're, it's broken into kind of two major uh, buckets. So within sustainability, we have animal rights and we have climate change. And both of those at surface value might seem sort of similar, but they're really not. Um, animal rights is kind of the original driver for eating vegan. Um, you know, you can think of this as the the side of the consumer landscape, you know, PETA, uh, caring about the, 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 the health and the experience of the animals who are sourcing meat. Um, and in today's industry, you know, the, the meat producing industry is one of the biggest polluters on the planet. Um, and so a lot of people have decided that that form of impact in sustainability is no longer tenable. And so they're moving away for the sake of animal rights, moving to uh, alternative meats. So that's thing one. Thing two is climate change. So again, of course, these things are not siloed. They're related to one another. But climate change, um, so animal rights was 5% of kind of, of conversations around vegan meat. Um, climate change is only 1%. So animal rights, five times more penetrated or more established as a motivation for eating um, alternative meats. But climate change includes things that are, uh, you know, much more related to the larger planetary impact of something. So yes, the animal meat production industry is one of the biggest polluters on the planet. Um, that definitely is part of climate change. But also thinking about um, within alternative meats, climate change can also refer to the way that, you know, something like soy, let's say, for example, is produced or almonds. Um, if we know, we'll, we'll kind of move over to, to plant-based dairy for a moment. We know that there's been huge conversations in the market right now about how sustainable actually is um, almond milk. What kind of impact do almonds have on climate change, right? So um, not just, again, as I said, kind of set up before, it's not just the choice against animals um, or animal sourced proteins or products. It's also choosing for uh, the plant-based products that have the, the kindest impact on the planet. So um, within those two, and I hope that made sense, that, that kind of set up there, um, animal rights interest is actually decreasing 14% year over year. So while it's five times more penetrated than climate change, it's actually decreasing fairly significantly. Um, whereas climate change is actually growing 83% year over year. So if I had to kind of put my money where my mouth is, I would say that in the coming um, years to bank on climate change is the much more uh, compelling reason for eating sustainably produced uh, meat alternatives more so than animal rights. That's not to say animal rights aren't important. It just means that I think consumer consciousness is growing and um, kind of expanding beyond just animal source themselves um, and moving towards climate change. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think I shared with you uh, a while ago this brand that uh, actually puts exactly what you just said into into practice. It's a brand called uh, Doug Drinks, yeah, which is a a potato based um, like plant based drink. It's like a potato based mi- milk alternative. Um, and uh, beyond just you know the the marketer in me, uh, just mm-hmm. I'm, I really like what they're doing with their brand, and I really like the the website and their whole approach. But the number one thing on their website, uh, in terms of why you should drink this before taste, before anything else, is low climate footprint. Um, so where taste, I think we found is so important. Uh, in terms of um, of the plant-based meats, uh, maybe in the dairy alternative, uh, maybe really it's important to more go towards the uh, the climate impact. Um, so the the top three things that they list is low climate footprint, vegan friendly, um, and free from lactose, milk, soy, gluten, or nuts. Interesting. And I, that might be also because as a new product on the market, potato milk, I, I can't name a single other brand that does potato milk. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I do spend a lot of time looking into this. Yeah. Um, and that might be that they're, you know, they're letting consumers decide for themselves that the taste is worth it. And they're really being transparent about the, the kind of climate impact, which is harder for consumers to evaluate on their own. And I think that that really pulls out another important point here about sustainability. Um, so carbon footprint, uh, you said climate footprint, so carbon footprint adjacent yeah. to that, uh, for vegan meat, so not not milks as you just said, but for vegan meat is actually up 103% year over year. So um, specifically, it's it's a small and emerging trend, but specifically that interest in, in carbon footprint is growing. Um, and these are terms that come out of research, right? And there are all the kinds of certifications now that we have on the market for uh, you know organic certifications, allergen certifications, whatever, but we're seeing an increased amount of uh, climate certifications across categories. So um, not just for vegan, or sorry, not just for animal sourced proteins. Like, you know, uh, I always, when I buy, let's say tuna fish, I make look to make sure that it's sustainably caught tuna fish. Um, so not just for animal products, but also for vegan meat products, right? Consumers are, I think, expecting and looking for that transparency from brands in order to create trust. Um, so consumers want to be able to trust what they're eating and they look for uh, the brands to communicate that information to them. So I think that example of Doug drinks is a really great one, right? That on the website, super, super clear. Um, I, I, I'm not looking at the website in front of me, but I imagine that you can click into that and learn more about it and see kind of what their their production is like and, and what the impact is on the environment. Um, so I think the veracity of, or the, the truthfulness of, um, or at least the like, your ability to validate the claims that brands are making is really important. Um, consumers are, are moving beyond the land. We said this in a few a few episodes back, but moving beyond being able, oh, okay, great, eco-friendly, awesome. We're, you know, on board. Yeah. Like consumers really want to know, what does that mean? How are you defining that? You know, what can I expect from the product that I'm buying from you? Mm-hmm. And if you can prove to me that that's actually, you know, significant, then I you've bought my loyalty, right? Yeah, consumers are, are becoming much, much more sophisticated. And I think For that sure. in alternative proteins is the is where this is most uh, prevalent. So to, to kind of wrap us up and um, and also to tie exactly to what you were just talking about, you were talking about certifications. I just want to make sure that everybody's aware because I know that uh, a lot of our audience um, is also going to be attending uh, Future Food Tech, um, FFT, mm. that's going to be happening in the end of uh, September. So I think it's kicking off uh, September 30th. Uh, so on September 30th, uh, we're going to be doing a panel on FFT where our CEO is going to be on it. And the title of the panel is exactly what we we're just talking about, gaining consumer trust 
marketing and regulatory claims around health promoting foods. Um, and he's going to be joined. Uh, that was not an intended segue. <laughs> <laughs> we did not mean that. <laughs> no, no, no one's going to ever believe that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be an hour long uh, panel along with um, uh, senior executives from AB and Bev and from Unilever um, and our uh, own CEO, Alon Khan, is going to be there as well. So I think it's going to be fascinating because we're because it's hearing from the folks actually manufacturing these products, um, exactly how it's impacting their, their good markets. Um, cool. So before we wrap up, any kind of closing thoughts on what we talked about? Yeah, um, I think that this is a really exciting category. And I hope that um, as a food and beverage uh, industry or as a community of people who care about, you know, what people are eating and drinking that we keep, we keep working to make the best possible products, both for our consumers and for the planet. And so it's been a a real privilege to be able to look at this, you know, for a full month and really understand kind of what's going on. And I'm feeling really optimistic. I think that we have a lot of really great change ahead of us. That's awesome. Uh, So I want to remind everybody that uh, if you go to our website, tastewise.io, um, you can sign up for free to use TasteWise Spotlight. Uh, TasteWise Spotlight, I urge you to sign up now because uh, it's getting a new version fairly soon. So if you sign up now, um, you're going to get all the benefits of the free version along with uh, some uh, premium features for existing uh, users, like being able to download some reports. Um, so it's, uh, there's a ton, ton, ton of value there. Uh, it's not a, a trial or anything. It's just a free product that um, a lot of our customers use. Um, so that's uh, that's one. Uh, second is all of the activities that we're still doing for Alternative Protein Month are on our website. Uh, just log into uh, tastewise.io. You'll see a link to um, our Alternative Proteins portal right at the top where you can get the report and you can sign up for the webinar and uh, of course get all of the related episodes of the podcast. This has been a blast. Like doing alternative protein month has, uh, has just been, been, a, been a blast. Um, and I've gotten some, and if you want us to cover anything on this podcast, feel free to send us a note at live at tastewise.io. Uh, I've gotten some comments about how I pronounce the names of our team sometimes with like an American <laughs> accent and sometimes with an Israeli accent. So I'm going to standardize. I'm going to go for the Israeli pronunciation of everybody's names. I love it. So um, the Food Intelligence Podcast is produced by Ophir Nagar and edited by Daniel Gal. Uh, so thank you to our fantastic team who helps us make this happen. And thank you, Miriam, for all the research that you do. My pleasure. Before we leave, I want to know, Ron, what is the tastiest alternative anything? So milk, dairy, meat, whatever that you've eaten in the last year? Well, I mean, I'm a... I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of Oatly, even with yeah, the, yeah. what we talk about, like oat-based milk, uh, like, is it good for you? Is it not good for you? Um, <laughs> it is like one of those alternative product products that I actually just prefer now. Like I prefer the yeah, taste, yeah. especially in cereal, especially the barista edition that they do in yeah, cereal. Yeah. In coffee, like I don't drink coffee with milk, but, um, um, but I've tried it. Uh, that's a bit too sweet for me, but I, I do like it with uh, with uh, cereal. So that's probably uh, that's probably number one. I've actually did have um, Impossible uh, Burger, um, and I like I'm not a huge like meat eater in terms of like I'm not huge on it anyway. But I actually couldn't tell the difference because we did do no. we were at a restaurant and a friend of mine got it and uh, we did like a blind t- taste test and I and I could uh, tell the difference. Um, what is it for you? Great question. Um, 
Yeah, I think, so also Impossible or Beyond, I don't have a huge favorite between the two of them. I think they're both great. Um, I live in a family of huge carnivores, so if at any point I can sort of say, hey, sneak this onto the grill, please. Um, (laughs) You know, and it's not like a piece of corn or like a mushroom, like it it makes them feel like they're cooking meat. That's that's a great win for everyone. Um, I think the other one is sesame milk. We were talking about this before, but sesame milk is just knocking my socks off right now. I love it. Morning coffee, a little dash of sesame milk. Sesame Mm. milk. All right, I'll have to to try it. That's a... It's new, right? I mean, I have It's new, yeah. It's new. I don't even know if it's available in the US yet, but uh, it is here. So Here's the takeaway, everybody. Try sesame milk. Also try all the other milk. stuff, but try <laughs> sesame milk. All right. Exactly. Thanks everybody. We hope it's uh it's been useful for you and we'll see you on the next one.